0: Okay, so let's do a recap. Yeah. <laughs> Why? See, I was, what else was thinking. Why? Thank you. So, you so that everybody through. knows, we are we have made our way through Revelation chapter six. Okay, and up to this point, I actually sent you guys an email. I suggest all of you read the email. I would highly recommend that all of you read the email. I suggest all of you read the email one more time i would highly recommend you read the email because the email does a synopsis of everything that we've done up to this point okay and i did it because it's important that we just every so often take a little time and remind ourselves of exactly what we're talking about and what we're doing in this particular section and in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over to my emails right this second. And I'm going to read what I wrote. <laughs> because I think it needs to happen. So this is what I wrote. It's on the board. You can read with me. <laughs> the revelation of Jesus to the Apostle John is a mystery to most people. Many people, including many in ministry, believe that the revelation is an allegory, a symbolic representation of sorts that John envisioned in his later life to bring encouragement to the believers in his time, but not an actual prophecy of what will be. As you know, I take a different tack. I am persuaded the revelation is the final book of prophecy and the final revelation of Jesus the Messiah. The revelation is what John experienced. He simply wrote in the best way he knew how, what he experienced or what he saw. In fact, that's the word that's used, uh, that he uses throughout the, uh, uh, the book. In fact, as we get into chapter 7 here, we're going to see that again. He starts off all these different sections with tata ido. meta meaning after. Tata, meaning this or these things, and Ido, behold, the things that I've seen. So so these are the things that he is reporting to us, and these are the things that he has seen. Okay, so it's very important that we understand that. The revelation is what he experienced, and he wrote it the best way he knows how. The sad truth is, very few people study the res- revelation as an actual and true representation of what God revealed to John. First, about his son, chapter one, and second, about what Jesus wants the church to know about itself, chapters two and three, and finally, about what will come, metatata, what will come once the age of grace ends and the believers of that age have been removed from the earth, chapters 4 through 22. Once John sees the Lord as he is and uh, and dictates his message to the churches, he, that is John, is transported to the throne of God. That's chapter 4. There he sees the Lord with a scroll sealed with seven seals representing God's ownership of the earth. The Lord hands the scroll to the only one worthy to open the seven seals, that is, the Lamb of God seated at his right hand. We read about that in chapter (coughs) 5. As each seal is broken, God reveals what will happen once the believers and the spirit indwelling in them are raised and are exalting the Lamb at the heavenly throne. That's all of chapter 5. The first seal reveals a white horse, and the one on it... Uh, promises peace but he goes out conquering and to conquer and when the second seal is opened it reveals a red horse and the one on it takes away peace from the earth waging a worldwide war the third seal is then opened and a black horse is revealed the one on this horse brings about a worldwide famine and an unheard of inflation when the fourth seal is broken it reveals an ashen horse And one who sits on it is called Death and Hades. He kills by sword, famine, pestilence, and the beasts of the earth. And a fourth of the world's population dies. The fifth seal is opened and it reveals there are people who believe the word of God. Remember, the Bibles remain after the believers depart during this tribulation who have been martyred for their belief. And they are asking God to avenge their deaths. They are given white robes in heaven and told to wait until their number is complete. The word there in Greek is teleos, which means to be perfect or or to be full. So their number is to be complete, meaning that more will die as witnesses for the Messiah Jesus. When the sixth seal is open, it reveals earthquakes and natural disasters so great that they will blot out the sun and turn the moon red. You do not want to have any part of this tribulation. However, before the Lord breaks the final seal, which reveals seven more events called the seven trumpets, remember we talked about this is like that little Russian doll, right? You open up one and there's another one in there. You open that one up, there's another one in there. That's kind of what we're looking at in the Revelation. So we finish the seven seals, and that then brings us to the seven trumpets. So this, this, but before that seven trumpet, or before that first of the seven trumpets is blown, There is an interlude that takes place. And by the way, we're going to see this throughout every single one of these things, right between the 6th and the 7th of whatever it is that we're talking about, whether it's the seals or the trumpets or whatever, there's going to be an interlude. And we're going to look at that interlude this morning. John sees four angels during this interlude, holding back the wind and another angel telling them to hold back the wrath of God until they had sealed 144,000 Jewish servants of God. In the fourteenth chapter, these hundred and forty-four thousand are called the first fruits to God and the Lamb. Revelation fourteen four, and John then sees a multitude clothed in white robes, just as described in the fifth seal, uh, so great that no one can count them. They are from every nation, they are from every tongue, and they are standing before the throne and the Lamb, crying out, "Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." The 144,000 who are sealed and thus protected from the wrath of the age of, that, of this age by God are serving the Lord on earth. This great multitude, however, is in heaven. And one of the 24 elders reveals this countless multitude as those who came out of the great tribulation and sealed their testimony with their own blood. That is, the martyrs revealed when the fifth seal was broken. It is this interlude described in chapter 7 that will be our lesson this morning. That's what I wrote to you guys. <laughs> Need to read your emails. <laughs> so the point is, the point is, is that there is a lot here, but I don't want you to be com- I don't want you to overcomplicate what's there. All John is doing is revealing what he actually ido, what he actually saw, what he beheld. And he's trying to to describe it in the best way he can. These seals that are being opened here are just a revelation that God is allowing now that he has no longer restrained himself. The last time we were together, we talked about the fact that because the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit is here on earth in the age of grace. We are in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace or dispensation of the church, some people call it. I like to call it the dispensation of grace. Because most people don't understand what the church is. The truth is, most churches are not believers. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Most, quote, churches are full of an awful lot of people who are religious maybe, but really have no idea what the Word of God says. And that's the truth. Um, if you don't like that, if you, if you object to that, go to a couple. Just do it. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting experience. Do you think that's worldwide, or is that heavily? Oh, that's, that's worldwide. Yeah, that's worldwide. The only time that that's not the case is where there's heavy persecution against believers. Because when there's heavy persecution against believers, uh, it's funny how the, the cream just sort of rises and the others and the dross just sort of falls, right? Uh, so, but, uh, but And that's clearly the case here in the, in the Tribulation but there are a lot of people that have, that are giving their lives to Jesus during this popu- this 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 tribulation because it says first of all that a fourth of the world is is killed well obviously a lot of those are martyrs and if the world at that point if it were today the world has somewhere close to 8 billion people we'd be talking about 2 billion people that's with a b that would be standing at the throne that would be an innumerable amount of people you wouldn't be able to count that many people and that's basically what we're talking about here so so this this is a, a really important thing i don't know what the 500 thing was but it's not important <laughs> okay but these 144,000 that we're going to talk about today these 144,000 are jewish People. We don't know if they're men or women because it doesn't actually tell us that, by the way. It doesn't say whether they're men or women. It just says people. So there's 144,000, and they come from the full 12 tribes of Israel. And these are called out by God. And they're the ones that are bringing this message out and bringing it to others. But, But they're bringing it to people of all tongues. And those people are believing. And in their belief, they're being killed. They're being martyred. And uh, and they're being effectively allowed to go straight to the to the throne of God. That's basically what it says here in chapter seven. So this is a uh, this is a really really interesting little little section of scripture that we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter seven. So it starts out like this. It says after this meditato, after this. I saw, meditato ido, and that's, and that's, that's the, the, the thing, idon actually, uh, it's a different pronunciation, but, but we, we see this, this meditatis, and this, this after all of these things, and we see that throughout the revelation. He'll say, these are the things that happened. Now, after that, this is now what's happening. And then after that, this is what's now happening. So now, after what? After these fifth and six seals had been broken. Earthquakes are going all over the place. The sun is being blotted out. We talked about that the last time we were together. And he says, And I saw four angels standing uh, at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth and on the sea or any tree. Before we go any further, he is not suggesting that the earth is flat. I actually read that. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it. That's not what he's suggesting. He's not suggesting there are four corners of the earth in the sense that the earth is flat. What he's talking about is that from all the directions of the wind. So the four directions of wind are what? North, south, east, and west. Those are the four points of the wind. And so so we see this, this same idea here. So the four corners of the earth, four corners of the of those areas holding back the four winds of the earth. So there's, there's an interesting thing that goes on here because if in fact they are completely holding back the winds I want you to think about this for a second what does that do to the earth what's the first thing that happens what's that it's stagnant, it's stagnant but what happens what, 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 is the, what is the chief thing that the wind does what does it do no the opposite it cools things off the wind is what cools things off. Why? Because the wind is what carries the moisture. The wind is what picks up the moisture. That's that's and that's what cools the earth. That's why if you go outside and it can be seventy five degrees out, but if you got a breeze that's blowing on you, it feels like what? Higher or lower? lower. Always lower. Feels like temperature is always lower. Yeah, even if even if it's ninety degrees out and the wind is warm, it'll still be cooling off. That's one of the reasons why. This is a little interesting, little bit of trivia. Uh, the only place, the only place in the uh, in the country that I know of, uh, I shouldn't say in the country. Uh, on the East Coast of the United States, the only place on the East Coast of the United States where a football game has not been played in 100-degree weather is Miami. Did you know that? You can go all along the East Coast. Every single place on the East Coast, they have played a football game in 100-degree weather except Miami. Why? Because we have breezes. Okay? Uh, by the way, that's why Hawaii never gets to be 100 degrees, ever. Never. Just, it's never, it's never had, never had a hundred degree temperature ever. So, so the point is, is that why? Because it's because of the breeze. Now, if you hold back all of the winds, what happens to the heat? It gets hot, right? And it gets very hot. Uh, in fact, the reason why we call the desert out in the West Death Valley is because one of the chief things that happens in Death Valley, besides the fact that the temperatures get to be 130 degrees, is the winds stop. There's no wind there. It's amazing. Uh, and so when there's no wind, it just takes the heat. And you talk about climate, you know, uh, uh, problems. You know, uh, th- this is where it comes. And so, so what he's saying here is he's holding back the winds. I want you to remember that because that's important because we're going to see, uh, see that being, being you know, uh, talked about. So he's holding back the winds, and he says in verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. So there is an angel with the seal of the living God. Remember that. And he he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was granted to harm the earth and the seas. Saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the doulos or the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, what is he saying? This is a very, very important thing that we that we get here because he's taking this little bit of break here. And remember, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, he told us this in Mark 13, he told us this in Luke 21, uh, it's reported in all of those different places, uh, that... There are going to be signs that we're going to have to pay attention to, uh, to know that the Lord is coming. His coming will be akin to uh, Noah's day, it says. It says that, uh, he, uh, that, he's, uh, that this is going to be sudden. It's going to be like a thief in the night. That there's going to be false messiahs that are going to come. And they're going to have wars and rumors of wars. And then it also says that fear will be, pre- uh, will be highly prevalent. People will live in fear. Famines, earthquakes... But all of these, it tells us, are just mere birth pangs of what's really going to take place uh, after he comes and takes the believers out. So the believers, uh, once that happens, uh, start to lose their lives, you know, almost indiscriminately. And many are going to fall away, uh, and they're going to hate each other, and the false prophets are going to be misleading many. And all of these things are all reported uh, in these sections in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 in particular. And... All of these things are happening, and yet it tells us in Thessalonians that God is restraining himself. All of that is happening while he's restraining himself. That's incredible to me. And uh, we also see that, that there's coming a day when the Spirit will be lifted out. So... We see these, these, these great events that happened with the seals, the white horse and the red horse that we just talked about, uh, the ashen horse and the millions of, of martyrs, maybe even billions of martyrs, um, and at the end of chapter 6, he asked a question, and the question is, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? And he is answering that here in chapter 7. The first people that are able to stand are recorded in the first eight verses where he talks about these 144,000 Jewish believers who are going to be like mini Billy Grahams, uh, whatever you uh, you know, mini John the Baptist, whatever you want to call them. These guys are going to be incredibly powerful. Why are they going to be powerful? They're going to be powerful because they are sealed by this angel and the one who is called the seal of the living God. Who is the seal of the living God? I'm not, going to get, I'm not going to bore you with a whole bunch of details. I'm just going to tell you what it is. The seal of living God, according to Ephesians, is the Holy Spirit of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. It is God's pledge. That is what he tells us. It is the, it is the, the, the one thing that God has given us that we know makes us believers. So it is It is this one who is the seal. So when he says here in, in verse 3, until we have sealed, what he's talking about is he's talking about the Spirit of God and the angel. So it is the angel that is carrying out this one, and they are out there actually sealing. Now, while he's in the process of sealing it, he says to these angels that are fixing to basically start blowing the world away. They've already started with the earthquakes and they've already started with, the, you know, with all that and so on. He says, I want you to hold back until I seal all 144,000 of them. And so that's what he says. And so in verse 4 we read, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So these are Jewish believers that are being sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because the sign of our age of grace is that we have been sealed with the Spirit of God. That's what we every single one of us right now have. Every single one of you that are believers in this, in this room right now If, in fact, you have come to that place where you have accepted Jesus' uh, forgiveness for your sin and that you have come to that place where you've received him into your life and you've asked him to come into your life, you've accepted his adoption. Once that has taken place, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you, period. You did nothing to earn that. Just like these 144,000, they did nothing to earn that. God just chose them out and they accepted that call. Now, once that happens, once we are sealed with the Spirit of God, we are set aside for God's pleasure. And it is important that we understand that that's exactly what's taking place here because since there are no believers from this age that are left, they're all gone. God then calls out these 144,000 to do the job that he needs to be done of the preaching of the Word. And the Bible tells us that God does his message, he shares his message through the foolishness of the preaching of the word. That's how it's done. It doesn't change in this time. And so someone needs to do that. And so God seals out these ones. Now, I want you to understand something. This this angel has the seal of the of the living God and we're going to seal and, and they're going and then it says he's going to put a mark on their forehead. Now this this idea of this mark on their forehead makes them effectively indestructible. We don't see any place in this scripture where these 144,000 are, are are killed, put down by the Antichrist or whatever, or by the beast. Does it, does it, we don't see that. In fact, it tells us in Revelation chapter 14 that these 144,000 are God's first fruits. They are, he is the one that, that has called them out. So the question is, is this mark that he's putting on there something that, you know, it's just sort of a new thing that God has never done. And the answer to that is no. All the way back, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you go back to the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, you'll read that after Cain killed Abel, that God marked him and did not allow him to be killed by anyone. Because everyone wanted to put him out. All the, all the brothers wanted to put him out. You just killed, you just killed Abel. And, and God says he marked him so that no one would kill him. If you go to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and you see the the Passover and it says that every single one of the people had to kill a lamb and they had to mark the doorpost and the lintel of their house and when the the angel of death passed o- passed over the land he avoided those and did not cause uh, death to occur in the house where their houses were in fact marked and if in a, a Ezekiel chapter 9 we we see an angel uh, who makes uh, who marks uh, every single person who is grieving uh, over the uh, the sin of Israel and he protects them from the the wrath that that is going to befall all of those people that have not repented yes sir I was just curious uh To it. it says angels, <coughs> angels are said to be sealed by God. Never thought about before. I don't know um, if that's true or not. He's making that up. There's no place in scripture that says that. No, Sorry. I, but that's what <laughs> yeah, no, but, I, but again that's just, you know, that's that's no. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't I mean maybe they are, but but you know, there's nothing in scripture that says that. The idea of the sealing that he's talking about here though is a sealing of the Holy Spirit. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just show you that verse that I was referring to. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, starting in verse 13, he says, In him, you, meaning the Gentile believers, also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given to us as an earnest or a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So this, this is a very important thing that we understand, that believers have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Those of us who are in this age right now, we've been sealed. That is the pledge or that is the earnest, the guarantee of our uh, relationship with God. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God to whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That tells us why we're sealed. We're sealed so that we can actually be there and be called up, be be raptured up, as it as it says in in uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four and verse sixteen. Uh, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the tr- trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this is uh, this is not something you should fear. We should be afraid of it. Should be something that we're looking uh, forward to. Why? Because we have been sealed with His Spirit in Second Corinthians. Um, In chapter 1, it says this, verse 22, actually verse 21. Now, he who established us with you is the Messiah and anointed us, and the one who anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge or as a guarantee, so again, this same idea that's being out. I don't know if you noticed there too, that's the triune, see God's triune nature there in that, in that verse, uh, that, that first we are, uh, we are established uh, in the Messiah, that we are anointed by God and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So again, this, this idea that the Spirit is the earnest uh, of our inheritance is called out. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that, that he was in fact sealed by God. Uh, so that when he came into this, this place, he was sealed by God. In, in Roman times also, you need to understand this idea of sealing is really a big deal. Because in Roman times, if you wanted to guarantee a shipment, the way you would do that is you would put the uh, uh, the, the docket, on the docket you would seal it if you were the person that was sending that and you were guaranteeing that package. So, Uh, sealing was something that they understood. And by the way, the only person who was allowed to open any seal was the person who was given specific privilege to do that in Roman times. So that's why, for example, when the scroll is written, it says who is worthy to open the seals. Only one person is worthy to open the seals, and that's the Lamb of God. So so this idea of, of being sealed is not something that would be a foreign concept to John or to any of the readers. So now he lays out who these 144,000 are. These 144,000 are in fact doulos. They're they're servants. They're bond servants of God. That, by the way, is the exact same expression that Paul uses about believers in this age. The exact same. And so, and by the way, these are the only people in the entire revelation that are called doulos. So none of the other people that, that come to know the Lord are called bond servants. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so why? Because none of them receive the Holy Spirit of God. These are the only ones that receive the Holy Spirit of God. And they receive it in complete, total fashion. They they have uh, the ability to do Pentecostal type of, of, of movements and and, and and things for God. It's, it's an extremely big deal. So they're sealed. They then are are the ones that are called out. But who are sealed? Well, he lays it out here and he says... He says there are uh, these are the sons of Israel, and then he, in case you, you didn't want to do the you know couldn't do the math in your brain at twelve times twelve is one hundred forty four. He then basically says, okay, here we go. The, of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand are going to be sealed, and from the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand are going to be sealed, and from the tribe of Gabe Gad. 12,000 are going to be sealed. And from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 are going to be uh, sealed. And from the uh, tribe of Naphtali and from the tribe of Manasseh and from the tribe of Simeon and Levi and Ishakar and Zebulun and Joseph and Benjamin. He lays out who all these are. Now, what's really fascinating is, is that since 70 AD, no Jewish person knows what tribe they're in. Did you know that? No Jewish person knows what tribe they're in. Now, some people who have the name Levi or have the name Cohen uh, might say, okay, well, we're, you know, we're, we're from that priestly tribe, the, the, the tribe of Levi. But, but they don't even know that because a lot of names have been changed over the years. And people, you know, some people just took on names uh, that, you know, were easy to say and so forth. And, and a lot of Jewish people took on the name Cohen and, and Levi had nothing to do with whether they were necessarily of that uh, group of people so there's no way that today any of us in this room, if we were Jewish, would know what tribe we're from. Would know it. Uh, no matter how hard you try, you, can tra- you can't you can trace your, your heritage back far enough. And because of the, the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and all of the records that went down with it. So this, and also it's interesting, uh, Herod actually even tried during Jesus' birth to destroy all of their records, but the Jewish people didn't allow it to happen which is kind of interesting, Uh, but it did, in fact, happen uh, during the 70 70 AD destruction. Now, you're going to notice two things about this particular group that that are different than the 20 other, 29 other times that the, the 12 tribes of Israel discussed, and that is that the tribe of Dan is not mentioned, and the tribe of Ephraim is known as the tribe of Joseph. The latter is the easier one to explain because throughout the time of of Israel, uh, there was always an understanding that God, or that Jacob rather, gave a double blessing to Joseph. And so he named, Joseph took it upon himself to name that double blessing after his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so when the 12 tribes of Israel were always kind of talked about, effectively it was 13 because there was this split of, of Joseph. And what God did was, in certain cases uh, in the Old Testament, we saw Levi being left out because they didn't have any land. And so the 12 tribes were, were discussed in that way. And in other cases, Dan was left out. And why was Dan left out? Because Dan was left out because uh, and they were the only ones that left the land. And so the people of the, the heritage of Dan actually went up into Lebanon and, and actually violated their border. And so during the time of Israel and Judah, they were actually extricated or taken out of the loop. And so most of the people of Dan, by the way, at a very early um, going uh, in, in Israel, had intermarried and had become nothing more than basically non-Jews if, 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 for all intents and purposes. So, but do we know why he, uh, Dan is left out? We really don't. Uh, do we know why he says Joseph over Ephraim? That we do know because during this time, uh, during most of the time of, of uh, after about 400 uh, B.C., uh, they stopped calling uh, that second part of Joseph's lineage Ephraim and started calling them Joseph. So Ephraim and Joseph were actually interchangeable. So for that to be here really is not that surprising. The one thing that is kind of interesting is that he doesn't talk about Dan. And uh, and most likely that was because uh, just uh, we don't even know who Dan, he didn't even know at that time who, who the people of Dan were. So it's fascinating to me as, as we look into this. So the first group of people that can answer that question, who is able to stand, are these 144,000 that have been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit during this time where the Spirit has actually, in fact, departed. Now, it's interesting to me to see the results of their work, because that's what's showing to us starting at verse nine. Look at what it says. It says, Meditata to Ido again, after these things I saw and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every tongue, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. So this great multitude clothed in white robes. Well, if you go back to to, uh, chapter 6 and we look at the fifth seal, it says that the martyrs were all clothed in white robes. If you can read that on verse 11, it says, and there was given to each of them a white robe. So these ones that are here in white robes are Clearly, these people that have been martyred. Now, what's interesting is, is that unlike us, who had to wait to be resurrected at the, at the, second, uh, at the uh, second coming of Jesus for us in the rapture, uh, what we would actually call the first resurrection in Revelation chapter 21. So, so one, those of us that have been brought up to, 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 to heaven, these guys didn't have to wait. These guys, once they were martyred, they went straight to the throne of God. So these people that are being martyred in the tribulation period uh, do not wait as we had to wait. They apparently are given their heavenly bodies immediately. And that's a pretty amazing statement. Uh, you know. And it says that there were so many of them, you couldn't even count them. Well, if 2 billion people had lost their lives in a very short period of time uh, because of the, ashen, the, the one that was upon the ashen horse that was called death in Hades, uh, it would be a very large percent of those that might be martyred and those that were martyred for their faith uh, now are standing before the throne. It also says that they were holding palm branches. And that is a very interesting statement because there's only two places in the Old Testament where we would wave palm branches. Now, this is, this is interesting because there was, there was a time, if you remember when Jesus was coming into the city, that they took palm branches and they laid them out on the, on the street. We call this Palm Sunday. This is this beginning. Uh, By the way, it probably wasn't a Sunday. That's a whole nother story. We don't have to get into that, but that's a, you know, whatever. But they laid out all these palm branches. That's different than waving palm branches. There was only two times in the scripture where we, where they were instructed to wave palm branches. And it was always during the Feast of Sukkoth, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is the fifth of the, of the uh, Feast of Israel, uh, the first of the, the first feast, of course, is, is Passover. The second one is uh, the Feast of Pentecost, or, or Shavuos, as we call it. Uh, feast of first fruits, thats where it's an agricultural thing. Then there is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Uh, excuse me, there's the Feast of Trumpets first, Rosh Hashanah, uh, which introduces the Day of Atonement, which is the fourth. And then finally, right after that is the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, what happens at the Feast of Tabernacles? Feast of Tabernacles commemorates the the fact that, that we are going to live with God forever. So it is at that commemoration that Jews wave these palm branches as a, as a symbol. In fact, many Jewish people will actually take palms and will put them over their back patios, and they will create these little sukkoth, as we call them, little tents uh, that are outside of their homes, and they typically have these palm branches on as their, as their temporary roof. Um, but again, this we see this thing. So here they are clothed in white robes, Palm branches were in their hands, signifying that they were now at their tabernacle. They were now at uh, their final place, and they cry out, "Salvation to our God and on uh, who is who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." Uh, the last time we were together, Bob had asked us a question. I don't think Bob's here today. I don't know if he's here or not. Um, uh, but uh, they had asked us a question: or, uh, "Is there?" Uh, let me get back over to. That those guys i forgot they forgot we had this up here and we weren't looking at that okay so bob is not with us but bob had asked me a question you know at the end of that chapter well why is it that god is on the throne and and jesus is on the throne with him you know i don't get that and and uh, you know this this idea that uh that jesus is in fact at the same level of god that that's the whole point and that when he's in his glorified body he reveals himself as this lamb, but it's a very interesting thing because John sees Jesus in a as a lamb, but but a lamb with four heads and or seven heads, excuse me, and and, and so forth, and all of these different things, and it's like it's it's just hard to wrap your arms uh, around that vision, but that's what he saw, and so that's what he wrote. Remember, he just wrote what he best could describe. Okay, and that's where he was at. So. He sees them crying out with a loud voice, and the, and the thing they're crying out is salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the, lang- the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, that's the cherubim, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, and this is so cool, they start out by saying amen and they finish by saying amen. And so they cry out to God saying amen. Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing statement that is. Yes, sir. So, in studying Revelation, I have four different, actually six different places in chapter 4, 5, and 7, where I've taken those, that amazing verse... When I'm in prayer block and I'm trying to pray and I'm not, you know, I'm getting distracted or whatever, I go to Revelation four eight and recite the prayer that's recited there in the throne room. Yeah. Four eleven, I do the same thing. Actually, five, the song, the song. Actually, yeah. it's a well, song. I don't sing it. Yeah, but it's a song. I yeah. Have mercy on myself. Yeah, or exactly. Pray, it five twelve and five thirteen, mm. and then seven ten through seven twelve, and it it actually pivots my focus and concentration to be where it should be for prayer. Yeah. It's just, it's so beautiful because again, all of this is just such a perfect fit for what we see. Remember in in the book of Acts, when we were studying the book of Acts, it says that there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. He is, his name, Jesus' name, Yeshua, means Salvation. So we, we see this, this beautiful picture uh, of, of all of this. And I think the things that he says there, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might, these are all of the major attributes of God. And they're just saying, look, this is what we see. This is where we're at. And we're just so thankful that we're at that, that place. You remember back in Revelation chapter five, it, it, when it was talking about the angels, it says that there was a myriad of myriad of angels. There was an uncountable amount of angels that were around the throne, uh, saying, "You know, uh, again, Amen," and, and, and so forth. So we we see this this amazing picture of who can stand. Who can stand? First, these one hundred forty four thousand that were called out to be preachers of the word during that period of time, and then those that gave their lives in martyrdom could also stand. And so they're standing. And but here is the difference: one stands on earth; the other stands in heaven. The martyrs believe and they're put to death and they stand in heaven to glorify God. Those 144,000 Jewish believers that are put there on earth, they stay on earth and they're sealed, they're marked and no one can touch them just in the same way as no one could touch Cain, as, as no one could touch those that had been marked by the angels in, in Ezekiel. Uh, we, we see all of these, these great pictures of... Of, of who they are and he goes on and it says in verse 13 he just he, he tells us point blank who they are he says and one of the elders answered saying to me these who are clothed in the white robes who are they and from where have they come and i said to him my lord you know i love that you know you yeah, know you know it's what why are you asking me that question just know, yeah, you know uh, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Definite article in the Greek, meaning it is a very specific tribulation, not just any tribulation. The Bible tells us throughout uh, the scriptures that, that we're all going to experience tribulation. Read James, talks about that. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of places in scripture where it talks about the fact that we're going to experience tribulation. That's not what we're talking about here. What he's talking about is the great tribulation. And you know, to me, I, I see that and I go, What? That is so amazing. So again, he's right here. He's telling us that. He's saying, Come out of the great tribulation. And they have been wa- and, and, and this is so cool. Listen, listen to what he says. And they have washed their robes and made them. And the word there is Lucas. Lucas. Which is there are two words for uh, for white in in uh, uh, there is the color white in Greek, and then there is this word Lucas, and what it means is we actually get the word lucid from this it it means to be bright to the point of of, uh, of, of just you can't even hardly imagine it uh, if your name is Lucas, that's a cool thing because that means to be completely. Uh, like what he's talking about, these people are, and so he made them Lukas. He made them white, and here's how he made them white: in the blood of the lamb. Now you would say, "Well, wait, wait, wait. the blood of the lamb should make us red. The the blood of the lamb should stain the clothes. Think about that. You get blood on your clothes. You know, you, when I get blood on my clothes, that's like the last thing I want to get on my clothes. You know, I'm trying to find soap or 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 you know." carbonated water or, you know, something, you know, because I don't want that to set, right? Because what happens when blood sets on a, you know, on a stain, it's virtually impossible to get out. But here he's saying that the blood is what makes us clean. The the blood is what makes us lucid. The blood is what makes us bright. To me, that's one of the, the, just this this beautiful picture of, of what he's talking about here is that it's not, about you know, white is a better color than some other. No, 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 no. What he's saying here is that there, that he has made it perfectly clean. He has made it spotless. That's really what the idea of lucas means. It's 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 about being spotless. It's about being so bright that it literally just fills the entire room. Uh, that's that's what we're talking about here. And so it says that they have been washed and their robes have become lucas in the in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. Now, that's an interesting word as well, because the word "serve" there is the word "doulos" in its verb form. So here we see the the one hundred forty four thousand being called "doulos" in the noun form that they're that they're on Earth serving and being being the ones who are servants. And here we see those who have martyred now coming up, not being called servants, but calling being, being called to serve. And who do they serve? They don't serve other people. No, no, no. They only serve uh, the Lord. And it says, uh, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his, this is so neat, his tabernacle, his, his sukkah. His, that, that same picture here of this permanent, this, this now, this final resting place. That was what the idea of, of tabernacling was. The final place that we, we shall rest. And he says he, he, he'll spread his tabernacle or his tent uh, over them. And they shall no longer hunger. They shall no longer thirst. They shall, uh, they, uh, neither shall the sun beat down on them nor any heat. Remember at the beginning we, said, we talked about what happens when you hold back the wind? The heat just goes completely crazy. So, so they've experienced all of that. They've experienced this climate change or whatever you want to call it uh, that's, that's going on. But listen to what he says. For the Lord in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, shall guide them to springs of living water, water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. So these ones who give up their lives, uh, this is not a joyful experience to give one's life up in martyrdom. They obviously experienced a tremendous amount of hardship. They obviously experienced hunger. They experienced incredible heat. They experienced lack of water. They experienced all of these things, and then they were put to death for their belief. And yet, in all of that, when they're now here at the throne of God in their glorified bodies serving uh, the Lord Jesus, the Lord says to them, I'm going to avenge your death, but you need to wait. Tells us that in chapter 5, or 6 rather. Uh, But he says, more importantly, you're not going to have any more hunger. You're not going to have any more thirst. You're not going to have any more pain. You're not going to have any of those things because you are now with me. I am your shepherd. I'm the one that's going to take care of you and so forth. I think this is a, 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 or an amazing section of Scripture because we see the only ones in this time that truly experience God are those who have either been sealed by the Spirit of God and have been called out in their specific, these 144,000 Jewish believers. Uh, and by the way, this is not already having taken place. This is to take place. Uh, there are a tremendous amount of people within the church today uh, that actually believe that all of this took place and it was all done. This is all finished. This is this is you know once the, the temple was destroyed, God was through with Israel. There was no more to do. It's crazy, but that's what they believe. We don't take that view. We take a futurist view. We take a, a we don't take a uh, you know a, a a view like it's done. We take a view that this is going to happen. And it will happen. And and that is a, a very important distinction. Uh, but the Lord is in their midst. He is their shepherd. He is the one that gives them water. He is the one who wipes away uh, their tears. And uh, to me, this is such a great answer to the question, who is able to stand? You're either going to stand as one of those who are called out or you're going to stand because you're, you've been martyred for your faith. Those are your only two choices. Uh, and it's really a tragic experience that most people are not willing to even come to grips with i think one of the things that's really fascinating about the tribulation is it only lasts seven years yet there's more happening in these chapters 4 through 22 uh, to the earth in those seven years than have ever befallen the earth before why is that why is that well paul tells us the reason for that is because god has restrained himself up until this time and now he's taken the spirit of God out, except for the fact that he's given it to these 144,000. Other than that, the the spirit of God is no longer influencing the things of, of the earth. And we're going to see how that, that plays out as we get into the trumpets uh, next time. So um, I'm going to end it right there. And then uh, we'll have a little word of prayer. And if you have any questions, we can answer them. So God, we are thankful for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. We are so thankful for this, 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 complete answer to the question who is able to stand uh those who are able to stand are those who are sealed with your spirit god we are just thankful that we have been sealed with your spirit god if there's anyone that's here today that hasn't been sealed with your spirit we just pray that that might happen even today that they could come to that place where they say yes i want jesus i want everything to do with him i want the spirit of god in my life i want to be sealed with that that uh that blessing that promise and i am so thankful that you gave that to me i'm so thankful that you gave that to each one here who believes and, uh, and Lord, that we don't have to go through these experiences, but that we can share this in a way that will cause others to say, man, I don't want to go there either. So uh, we thank you so much for Jesus, God. We thank you for all that he's done for us. And we pray these things in his blessed name. Amen. Amen.